You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Welcome to the Modern Web Podcast today. I'm Jesse Tomshock, uh, Architecture with This Dot. Today, I have a very, very special guest. I'm super excited to talk to Jim Young, Engineering Manager at Netflix. And we're going to talk about developers and management and the career trajectory and what that whole experience is like, uh, the enjoyable parts, the, the difficult parts, the, the, the tug and pull. Uh, and so I'm really excited to get into this. Um, but first, today we're here, we're sponsored by Harman Ignite Store Developers Portal, uh, is a developer hub dedicated to the Android automotive developer community. It's a portal that provides developers with the toolkit APIs they need to create cutting edge apps for the future of in-vehicle experience. Think about it like Tesla, but not in a Tesla. Uh, you can check them out at uh, ignitedevelopers.harman.com. And we want to thank Harman for sponsoring today's episode uh, and give you a chance to talk to uh, Jim. Uh, Jim, for people who don't know you, who maybe, maybe aren't on Twitter or don't listen to the Front End Happy Hour podcast or any of the other podcasts or any of the other conferences that I love your content and I love to hear you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, first off, uh, thanks, Jess, for having me on. And uh, I like that sponsorship. It was so highly specific that I was like, wow, engineering, it just like keeps growing and growing and growing. It's fantastic. Sorry, that was an aside. Expect a lot of them as we uh, have this conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my name is Jem Young. I am an engineering manager at Netflix on the web platform team. So I, the team that I lead, uh, runs the servers that run Netflix.com. So we support a variety of use cases, users from streaming to sign up to uh, some other initiatives that, you know, you can't really talk about yet, but they're awesome. Uh, before that, I was a UI engineer at Netflix where I worked on Netflix.com, the homepage. So a lot of A-B testing, a lot of React, a lot of all that good stuff. Before that, uh, I did startups in New York, Georgia, kind of all over. And somehow I tricked myself and others into becoming an engineering manager. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And I'm glad you used that word tricked into management. Uh, historically, the trajectory has been developer, you know, senior developer, lead. And then your next promotion was management, right? And that, to me, that's always been a, a starkly different job. It's like, I'm really good at chopping wood. Uh, and, and being a, 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 a lumberjack. And now you want me to be, what, an Olympic swimmer, diver? Like, it, it seems so drastically different. Uh, how did you convince your, how did this trajectory happen for you? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you're calling it out because a common myth amongst, in tech for some reason, is that good engineers make good managers. And that is not at all true. The skill sets you need are different. There is overlap, obviously. You can't be, it'd be difficult to be a, a, an engineering manager coming from, say, banking or something like that, where you know nothing about what they're talking about. Uh, but kind of like that, uh, that call out earlier to Ignite developers for people speaking on or developing directly for Android Auto, tech is expanding. And our view of what tech is and even career trajectories are growing as well. For myself, when I started, I said, I'd never be in management. I, I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. I, I like having a tangible output. I like having a skill set I can point to and say, like, I've built these things. So management is very far away from that. Uh, you have no tangible output, generally speaking. Uh, I can't say, I can't point to something and be like, I built this because I didn't. My team did. Uh, I can't say I have deep expertise in this specific technology stack anymore, unless I'm doing it in my free time. So management wasn't something that I really had considered in terms of career trajectory. But just like you, I thought it was the only option I had. Now, so hope for all you listeners out there, now we, hopefully us slightly more enlightened people in tech who are paying attention like Jesse, can look at career paths and say, no, you don't have to be a manager anymore. There are, you can be a staff, you can be a principal, you can be an architect. There are other career trajectories if you're a really good engineer that don't involve people management. 
the downside yeah, is, uh, yeah, go ahead. Jeff. I was going to say, and these are, these are titles that, you know, there's, you know, for those of us on the podcast, there's a lot of silver in my beard uh, and staff and principal and architect. They weren't even adjectives that I would use to describe it. Like they weren't usable concrete jobs when I started. Um, there was senior developers and that was it. That was the, the plateau. That was the, the cream de crump, right? You would find people my age now um, as a senior developer. And that was it. They, you know, they were the, the ones who knew all the things they were, they were your rock stars that just did the thing and, and drank a lot of Mountain Dew in the, in the late nineties and early aughts. Right. But they, you know, management left them alone. There was, you know, they weren't real people persons, right. We've all got this idea of, of what that person might look like. Um, and over the years, I've been really happy. Like I've, dabbed in management. Um, and I don't, I haven't, I've struggled to find it fulfilling, right? It's because it's such a sharp left turn, um, in skill sets. I, I found myself ill-equipped to do the job, uh, and failing at the job and failing to deliver tangibles and all out, mostly just miserable. Like at the end of a week, you figure like, okay, what did I accomplish this week? And you think I've been in meetings 30 minutes, you know, for 30 something hours like what what value do i produce um so jim how did you rectify how did you sort of uh put these two opposing fields together did you slowly move into it did you jump into the deep end did someone were you are there like i used this analogy once last year uh if i want to get better at basketball i'm going to go outside and i'm going to shoot 100 free throws every day and i'm going to get better at free throws that is a tangible goal if I want to get better at management, what, what do I do? There is a limit to how, how much you can do without actually being a manager. Fortunately, I had my, my previous manager, uh, Michael Ransdell, who's now a director at Netflix. He was aware of that when we, when we did the interview for, uh, my current role, uh, I would just like, he would ask me questions about like, how do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with this? Uh, and then we went to the interview and at the end I said, well, how did I do? He's like, you did okay. There's just certain things you can't know until you become a manager. And that's absolutely true. I, I like your basketball analogy. That's, that, that's why I think uh, being an IC, an individual contributor is a more appealing career trajectory for a lot of people because you could measurably increase your skills Whereas I can take a million workshops as a manager and not still not be sure I'm any better of a manager at the end of the day. I may have learned a lot more, uh, but I'm still not sure I'm the right one or I'm still not sure I'm good at what I do. The, the short and long story of how I became a manager at Netflix, uh, it happened during the pandemic and I, I had just joined this brand new team, a new platform team for netflix.com hadn't existed before so we didn't really know what we were supposed to be doing which is a really interesting position to be in because every team needs roles every every team needs balance um and this is something like i'll probably bring up later about like the balance of teams and team composition but what what naturally happened was i fell into this kind of ideator uh this prognosticator of like hey here's what we need to work on in the future so by coming up with these ideas, I became the person who thereby owned the ideas. And therefore I started like driving more projects, driving a bigger effort, driving these multi-quarter, multi-year effort uh, to, to, increase, um, to increase our output on the team, increase the, the team uh, underneath us as well. And this was done and, sort of organically, right? Yeah, it was just, it was a role that needed to be filled I, I say this with all with all humility. Like I, I'm good at talking to people, hopefully, <laughs> or I've been a bad manager these past past few months. Uh, but it, it was more the team didn't really want to do that. They didn't want to have meetings. They didn't want to pull together different ideas and then have to create a doc that captured all these ideas and get feedback on them. That to them uh, didn't seem like engineering, but it needed to be done. So I did it. Uh, and over time, I look at my GitHub contribution and it just fell to zero. I went three, four months without contributing anything to GitHub to the point where I, I asked my team, I was like, hey, 
I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Like I'm not actually writing code anymore. I, I'm still working. I'm still doing stuff, but I don't know what my output is anymore. And they're like, no, Jeb, thank God you're here. We don't want to do that. We just want to code. We just want to build this stuff. We just want to ship products. We really, <laughs> we're really grateful that you're doing this because we don't want to do it. I said, okay. I still, I still feel bad about it. I still feel grimy. Like I'm not actually coding. Like they can fire me any day because my manager comes to me and says, hey, Jim, what have you done? I'll be like, this commit has looking meetings. a little sparse here, Jim. Yeah. But fortunately, Netflix is not a company that values you by the lines of code you write, which is a foolish metric anyways. Um, yeah. To all our listeners, uh, if your company is valuing you by lines of, of code you write, uh, we're hiring at this dot. So come drop, drop your resume in there because that's you've got better places to be. I, I, I promise you that it's not a healthy environment. With It's not an environment with a good understanding of how engineering works. But anyways... That's a different episode entirely. Yes. Uh, so I was kind of having this identity crisis for a long time. And it didn't help the events of 2020, 2021, the pandemic. I had just become a father. You know, Congratulations. Really? Thank you. Uh, I was stuck in this really small condo in San Francisco with no space, a baby, and, you know, we've got a nanny. And, like, you know, just not a healthy place to be. And on top of that, like, you know, I have an identity crisis at work. Like, what am I? I thought I was an engineer. I thought I had these skills but it turns out that's not what's important right now. But like, I can't stop doing it. I can't go back to just coding because like, otherwise the whole team gets blocked. Uh, fortunately, I had a good peer network. I have good support people who will give me their unbiased feedback. And someone's like, Jim, you know, you should be a manager. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not for me. Had you even, before they, someone had mentioned it to you, did that cross your mind when you were having this sort of internal struggle? Um, I, I've been down that path and I've taken that struggle home with me and worn it on my sleeve. And me and my family have had, you know, me and my wife have had many discussions about my happiness at work because when I am unhappy, I am insufferable uh, and thus not a lot of fun to be around. And so she prods me to, you know, my partner prods me to, to, find something that, you know, we've been through that together where it's like, yes, you, you're doing valuable work, she would say. And I'd be like, no, you don't understand. There's no code going in. And she's like, I see you all the time pumping out all this stuff. What is this stuff? And it's like, it's not code. Uh, it's, it's a, that's a real thing. You, you question like, I think we all went through this. Anybody who was working in tech during uh, the pandemic and even today, you still question like, what value am I adding to the company? What value am I adding to society? Am I just like juggling computers all the time? Like type banging on my keyboard, but nothing's happening. I, not to editorialize too much, but I think that's a large cause of, you know, the, the quote unquote great resignation. We all looked at our lives and been like, what are we doing? And I was there too. I was like, what am I doing? Before someone came to me and said, hey, Jim, I, I think you might be a good manager. I'd never given it really any thought. It, it just didn't seem like that was in the cards for me. It, my identity was tied up in being a good engineer in one of these people that I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you like the, the cut of my beard. I have skills you need and I can get stuff done. And that's who I am. No matter what happens at the end of the day, like these are concrete things I can count on. But it took uh, a good friend of mine from Microsoft who was like, hey, this, this role came up Microsoft. Why don't you interview for it? It's an engineering manager. I was like, you know what? What have I got to lose? Which is like something uh, increasingly as I look back on my life at the decisions I've made, I kind of like that mentality. It's like, you know, what have I got to lose? Other than my ego, what does it cost me? I get some experience interviewing, which never hurts. So, you know, I interviewed, um, I understood like, it helped me codify like what a manager should do and how they think about problems. And more importantly, how I should reframe my own history to represent myself as a leader of people and when I look at what I've done through that lens, I was like, oh, crap. I could be a manager because I already do it. I, I, I love mentoring. I, I get such good satisfaction out of helping somebody and like unblocking them. I already do that working on a platform team, like where my output is measured by how effective I can make other people, not myself. So I, I look at that. And when I reframe my history in that way, I was like, oh, crap. I should Damn be a manager. <laughs> like, not I should. You are. Yeah. You were, you were doing it, right? Yeah, you're, you're already started doing it. Um, 
so when the the opportunity to come up to or came up to interview for a manager role at Netflix, I was like, okay, again, what do I have to lose at that point? And kind of the rest is history. It's a, it's a little bumpy after that, you know, some some misses, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into engineering management. That's yeah, I I think for, for people who have been in that track, there's we we're all on teams where there is an individual who is not an official manager, but uh, is the sort of glue of the rest of the team. They might do more of the communication. They might run down problems. Um, they might run down clients or requirements or, you know, uh, earlier I was doing a, a ton of DevOps work, which is not a lot of fun. Um, and I was doing that because I didn't want anyone else on the team to have to do it because it is awful. The feedback cycle is slow and it the, the errors are garbage, right? It's just tears. It's just tears. And I don't want anyone else to do that. They're they're doing great work, and to have their their whole week just gobbled up by CI/CD errors of like, hey, you can't pull from Docker because you hit your rate limit. You're like, what? What does that even mean? So like, we have these people that glue it together, and are they are managing? Are they? I guess between tech lead and management, like, what's the how do you get from one? Is it just a, a title and a recognition? Is it those? Because the, the person on the team with the glued, we don't have hard conversations about my performance, about my evaluations. Like we usually don't have hard conversations. Is that the sort of tendential? What's the difference between tech lead and gluey person to making that step over the threshold for you, Jim? Yeah, I, I like you called out glue work. Um, I, I think that phrase first came to my attention from uh, Tanya Riley in a, in a talk at, at Lead Dev, which is a, a conference for technology leaders, and I like it because it, it puts a, it puts a word around something that has always been there, but we don't give enough credit for. But just like you called out, Jesse, it's it's those people who are writing documentation, who are writing tests, going up and adding lint errors to make everybody's life easier. Like all this glue work that is necessary for a functioning engineering organization, but you get no credit because like there's no Hey, I shipped this feature. Hey, I shipped this. This uh, I closed ten bugs. Hey, I did this thing, but are absolutely fundamental. So now is when we get back into roles on teams, and I do think a good team composition is a manager, ideally, uh, a tech lead type role, maybe a junior engineer to help because people. It, it's helpful to mentor people. So and it's good to understand a completely different perspective than us old salty dogs who've been doing this long enough to have gray in our beards. Like we forget our, our, our perspectives can be myopic. So it's good to have a, a, a less experienced person on the team. And then you have a, a couple of solid, just all around engineers who have different skill sets. That's a balanced team. Uh, so I guess the difference in roles between a tech lead and an engineering manager, it depends on the company. And I know that <laughs> that's not a very satisfying answer on it depends. Well, and does it depend on the company or does it even depend as far as team to team? Yeah, it depends on team to team, depends on the company. For instance, Netflix is a company where engineering managers don't code. Our, our by full-time job is management, uh, management of people in the organization and the team. That's not true. Does that include project management? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Depends on the team, depends on the project. Some managers do, some managers don't. Uh Versus someone like Google, if you're an engineering manager or, or Facebook, you are coding. So you're coding and you're managing at the same time. Shout out to those people. I think it's difficult to do both. I, I <laughs> Being a manager is the first time I've ever w wished my entire tech career of the week was longer. That I had more time. I know. It, 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 it's weird to say, but I'm always like, ah, if I had a little bit more time, I can get more stuff done. Um, but I, I guess the difference in, in roles is how much people interaction do you do and what level does that interaction look like? For instance, as a tech lead, do you really care or is it your role to be considerate of other people's career growth? Probably not. I, I mean, a good tech lead, sure. But is that their primary role? No. Is that my primary role? Yeah, it is. I want everybody on my team to be growing all the time, even though they're fantastic engineers. There's always a little bit more that I think people can strive for if they want to. Um, 
dealing with just general people things like hiring, compensation, all of that kind of glue work that goes into behind the scenes, uh, <laughs> that is important, but you forget as an IC exists. Uh, even even things like setting up offsites, planning offsites, team outings, uh, team swag, these little, little things that go into adding a good team, healthy team culture is something that managers do that tech leads shouldn't have to worry about. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing my my 80s retro this time. We get, you know, stickers and packages and, and snack boxes and they perk up my day. Uh, they, they perk up my kids, right? My kids are excited to get, they, they know when the package comes from work because they, it's got stuff and stickers and it's sometimes there's extra stuff in there for them. Uh, and those are things that, uh, in my head, I don't think about that. Like, so I'm, I'm to be clear, I'm not a managed an engineering manager. Um, my role is primarily, uh, project architecture. So I come in, I scaffold, uh, I get the team set up, but I do mentoring, which is at Jim is absolutely fabulous. You're right. Everybody should teach help teach and mentor you. I, I do. I started doing it for selfish reasons because I wanted to know the topic better. Um, and I found it to be really enjoyable um, and really, really satisfying when someone goes, Oh, I get that. It's like, well, it's like, it's just pure dopamine. Um, it's great. But like, I don't think about the, the managerial glue, the, the career tra trajectories, the offsites, the compensation uh, pay bans, the, uh, performance reviews, the, you know, all that other stuff with most people refer to it as just administrative work. Uh, like, what do you like when you do it on a, on a, on a Thursday, what do you call that? Like, I, I just call it manager work. Manager I don't, I don't work. know. It's, it's stuff that needs to get done. I, I like your example of the, the swag and the snack boxes. That's really nice. That's really thoughtful. But someone had to do that. These things like don't just magically happen. And you're like, oh, it's someone's job somewhere. Not necessarily. As a manager, my job is not to do swag. Like that, if I never did it in my whole life, I, I no one's gonna be like, you're a terrible manager. Do I think it helps team cohesion and like these little kind of building blocks to building a good, solid, healthy culture? Absolutely. But that's my perspective. Other people have different perspectives. And that's what makes being a manager tricky. Is like there's no roadmap on saying if you're wrong or right. It's just like what does your instinct tell you? And as a new manager, you know I have no instinct because I've never done this before. Like a lot of conversations I have, I've never had them before. So my perspective is always like, well, what is extreme empathy? Like what what does it feel like to be on the other side of the table? Because I remember what those conversations go like, and that's kind of how I operate my day to day, or at least I try to. Uh, yeah. I, management is is really fascinating thing because like we talked about earlier, you can't point to anything directly. My output is measured purely in terms of like, is my team executing efficiently? Are they outputting correctly? But that's scary because I have no control over that. I can't, <laughs> as I'm learning with a uh, my now uh, toddler of a son, you can't make humans do anything. <laughs> you, you think you can, but you actually can't. You can compel them through various means of uh, physical force or prison or whatever, or laws or society uh, or culture. But you can't actually make anybody do anything, especially when it comes to sleep. You cannot make someone go to sleep. If they don't want to oh, sleep, they're man. not going to sleep. That's just yeah. like, uh, but the same applies to, the same rule applies to all people is like, you can't make anybody do anything. You can try to convince them that's the right idea. You can even try to set limits or even say like, here's exactly how I want you to do it. But at the end of the day, I can't make my team do anything. So the best thing I can do is give them as much context as I can and say, like, here's why we're doing this. Here's what I think. Here's where we're heading. And let, I let them fill in the gaps because they're far more informed than I am. And that's the best role that I can play for my team. And that's what I consider manager work. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that um, managing engineers has a certain amount of, of – detail in the idea that you're like, okay, here's what we're doing. And this is why we're doing it. Um, you know, teams I've worked with have, have very rarely, if ever taken, uh, direct like, um, orders or, or, or requirements at simple face value. Um, 
there, you know, I think we've all sat around the, the, the conference tables pointing stories at one time or another and going, I think it's a two or a giraffe or an elephant. And someone will always indefinitely say, why is this, what, why are we doing this? What is this? What is this even important? Right? Like, how do you, are, are you the one that answers those questions? Are you the one that goes and finds those answers or, or how do you, do you promote the dialogue or sort of, or do you sit back and let the group sort of work itself out? I, I think it's much more powerful if the group works itself out. Sure, I can ask the questions that may simulate some of this conversation, but it's more important to discover the right answer yourself than to be spoon-fed it. Because like I, the people I work with are so intelligent. They're such great engineers that I, I would be doing them a disservice by answering all the questions for them right off the bat. Like, oh yeah, we're doing this because of this, we're doing this because of this. Having them arrive at that is a much more powerful strategy because at, at the end of the day, you're sitting here on a Friday evening and you're stuck on this problem and you're like, I should just give up. Like this doesn't make any sense. But what motivates you to solve that problem is like, no, I understand why we're doing it. I understand what we're, we're going to accomplish when we get this done. Now I'm going to solve it versus me just coming in like, here's what you're going to do today. This, 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 and this and very procedural. That That's, that's just not how creative creativity works. And again, that's something we neglect when we talk about engineering. It's like, is engineering an art or a science? Well, it's both. There is a science behind it. Absolutely. It's backed by rigor and math and, you know, algorithms and all that fun stuff. But there's a creative aspect too, where you just need to be in the right place, the right frame of mind. I mean, heck, Jesse, when's the last time you solved the problem by like taking a shower or sleeping on it and using that um... other part of your brain? Half a time, half a dozen times this week alone, uh, walking the dog, playing pass in the in the front yard, um, cooking dinner. Uh, I never saw. I hardly solve anything at my desk. It it is not a solving. This is not a solving space right here. No, creative things do not happen here. This is just simply the output uh, of, of better things. Um, I think that's interesting. The the that creative is there. How do you manage? that creative spirit uh, and that sort of discipline of engineering. Um, are, are you, when the scenario I, I laid out earlier at the conference table, are you in that meeting as, as a manager storing points and, and grinding through the requirements or are you um, doing other, other managerial tasks while they do the work or are you present and just sort of available? I, I prefer to be in the meetings if I have the bandwidth. Generally, if it's a new meeting kickoff, I am there in the meeting because I want to make sure everybody has the same context that I also understand the context too, that my team like doesn't have more information than I'm operating with. Once I feel there's an informed captain, then I, I generally back out. I, I don't feel it's the best use of my time to be involved in the, the ground level day to day. Because again, at the end of the day, am I the most informed person making these technology decisions, making these coding decisions? No. It's my team. So like, why would I be in the middle of that? They're, they're much better engineers than I am. Though what I can do is foster this creative environment, this, this, this environment where it, one, it's okay to fail. So that means like ask dumb questions. I ask dumb questions all the time. I'll, I'll ask like basic technology questions that like, maybe I should know, maybe I don't, but you know, the fact is I don't know. And the only way I'm going to know is if by asking you, <laughs> that's the thing about being a manager. You're not very good if you're afraid of being foolish. Uh, because if you're worried about looking foolish, then you'll always be like, mm-hmm. 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 I understand I said that GraphQL and uh, relay that to the Firebase API. And uh, we're running all through WebAssembly and, uh, you know, we'll decompile yeah. it into... Yeah, those are all words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely understand that. But like... That... Would walk me back through that, Jim. That, that, how's that go through WebAssembly? <laughs> you know, it decompiles to the binary. And like, it, it doesn't help anybody. I'm uh, good with people. I'm good with people. <laughs> I swear I know what I'm talking about. But the best leaders that I've seen on Netflix, uh, they they don't try to hide their ignorance. They'll, they'll ask direct questions like, hey, what does this mean? Hey, I don't understand that. Hey, can you add a little bit more detail to that? And that's what I feel leaders, good leaders should do is be able to, to be there and ask these kind of questions and not be afraid of looking foolish. But when it comes to sitting down at the table, I, I, I like to be at the table. But I make it very clear to my team. I'm like, hey, I am a role in this team. I exist to do all this other stuff you don't have to worry about. And I keep we keep the, uh, the trade moving. Uh, do you always see my output? Not necessarily. 
do do you trust that I'm working? Yeah, the same as like I, I'm not sitting there with the camera on your desk, but I trust you're working. Are you outside saying like, hey, I'm at the gym, I'm going for a walk? Does that mean you're not problem solving? No, because just like we talked about earlier, that's exactly how you're problem solving. So like, I, I don't need to be down your throat all the time. Uh, but I make it clear that I'm a role in the team, and I have some context that I will bring in if it's relevant. If not, I don't want to burden you with additional things you like just don't add anything to the discussion but i make it clear when i make give my opinion it is just an opinion based on what i know and my vote does not count any higher than anybody else on the team unless i know like no the vp of engineering came to me specifically but like hey you need to get this done then i'll share that context with the team but other than that yeah it, i i want to encourage good decision making and not this top-down dictatorial way of like you do this, you do this, you do this, because I'm Jim and I know better because I'm manager. Like that, that's just not how we operate. And that's not like a very efficient way of, of thinking about how to be a good people leader. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't sound like uh, a, a creative way or, or a way to get the best sort of uh, output or product or, or uh, life out of, out of a team, uh, the, the people working for you. I, like I said before, I haven't met many engineers that, like taking uh orders micro orders um you know j j they all want requirements we all want requirements but we, what we don't want is orders um and sometimes though you know sometimes it's you get one or the other and and maybe when, when you're after requirements you get orders i i think a lot of it comes from I, okay, I, I won't bring politics into this because I, I, I don't feel that it's, that helps foster a, a good discussion. But if we look at the history of humanity, we look at what leaders, the leaders we, we admire. And I'm not, talking, not just talking about America. I mean, like all of history. Who are the leaders that come to mind? They're, they're strong men. They're, they're the, they have the right idea and they're, they're leading in a horse in a, in a fearless charge or, or whatever it is. They're captain of the ship and they're, they're telling everybody orders and they're, they have all the right answers. And that's who historically we look on as like great leaders. And it totally overlooks all the other people that help these, these leaders and overlooks all these other people that they're just amazing human beings, but they're not bothering to stand up and get credit. And that's reflected in a lot of how we view what a good leader looks like. We look at them as the strong men, as the, because Jesse said so, and he's, he's right. And that's, that's the right way to lead people. But increasingly, I think hopefully in tech, we're starting to see that maybe, maybe being a good leader isn't about your ego. Maybe it isn't about being perceived as a strong man. Maybe a good leader leads from behind and has the input of a good team behind them. And we're sorting this sort of, evolve our thinking just like how we talked about earlier or uh, how you how you mentioned earlier how back in the day there was one career trajectory for tech and it's like you're either people management or you're a senior engineer that's it and now we're kind of evolving our thinking and like oh actually there is room for growth on being a staff or principal or you can be a people manager or you can just be a really good senior engineer there's nothing wrong with that at all so we're, we're also evolving our thinking on like what people leadership looks like, what, what it means to get the best out of your team and become like, just create this environment where people feel safe and they are operating at their, their absolute best. And I can tell you from being at Netflix for six years now, I've seen that. I've seen teams just excel and do things that teams double, triple their size couldn't do because they have this environment where they're all free to be themselves and their managers like stepping back like, yeah. Yeah, you all do your thing. You are amazing, beautiful humans beings. So just, just go do it. And like that's that's kind of what I aspire to do too. And it's it's tricky because from the outside, it doesn't look like a lot. It doesn't look like you're doing anything at all. And that's like honestly what a lot of good leadership looks like is they're not in the middle of the conversation. They're not in the middle of that conference table. They're just at the end asking the right questions and nudge people in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think I really like what you I, and I haven't heard. I don't think I've heard this in a really long time is leading from behind um, from the back. I in in the past, I've used, you know, when I have been in companies and started to when I've been in companies for several years uh, and my trajectory has started to lean into management in, at the enterprise level where it's like, hey, 
you've been here a while. So I guess the next thing you do is start doing some reports. And it's like, whoa, this one's kind of terrible. Um, the, the phrase I've started, I, I started using many years ago was, I, I don't like to manage people. What I really enjoy is leading by example. Is, is, is sitting at the table and, and offering up and, and spurring that conversation and getting feedback and, and um, be, you know, getting other people excited about building that project. Um, not necessarily managing from behind, but um, on, on the floor as, as a sort of an assist, um, the Chris Paul of, of, of the team. Um, like I'll, I'll go in there and I'll do the dirty work uh, and you, you can take all the points and that's totally fine. Um, that totally works for me. Um, but yeah, the, when we started, we were talking about your, your feeling and your, your uh, difficulty with your output and, and your identity. Um, I think a lot of us in tech have, you know, my, my technology and my development skills and stuff is, is part of my personal identity when, you know, whether that's healthy or not is, is, is a different discussion, but like, like my beard and, 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 um, my long flowy hair, it, it's, it's just part of who I am. Um, you know, my wife is in social work and, um, bless her for doing better, better work than, than I do at this point, uh, juggling computers. Um, but she doesn't tack on to that. She doesn't, it's not part of her identity when, you know, when we say we, we go out and, and we meet new people, right? It's very early on in the conversation that they find out that I do software development and computers as my thing in my jam. It may be months or longer before they, she starts to talk about the uh, social work she does, you know, and she's very passionate about it, but she doesn't talk about it from her work, she talks about it in general. Um, that identity that you have, are you in a better place now, you know, having done it for a couple of years? I, I know things are very tumultuous in the last couple of years uh, and, you, and you've got a toddler and you're sleep deprived. Uh, Jim, tell me about your mental state. Are you doing okay? Your identity, is it good? <laughs> uh, yeah. S sit I, back I, on the couch and tell me about your dreams. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I dream about falling a lot. No. Uh, it, it's okay. I, I really like you brought up the sense of identity because it it, it is a deeper conversation um, that we don't have enough in tech. So let, let's jump back. Um, we'll say ten years. 10 years in tech, uh, what was happening 10 years ago? React wasn't even out. Uh, nope. I don't think Angular, Angular was out either. Angular JS was starting to break in. Yeah. Uh, jQuery we was doing, still hot. Yep. We were doing, um, we were starting to do Cardova, Cardova on iPhone and iOS. The app store was maybe a two, three years old. So we're, we're in this time period. Do you remember bro culture in tech? Yes. <laughs> so uh, bro culture, for those who don't know, was a, and still is a kind of ongoing problem. And I think it stems from an identity problem, which is like, hey, you work in tech, you're a nerd. Because that for the longest time in human history was like how you perceive people who worked on computers and math and science is like those nerds working on the computer, not doing anything. And so to, and this is totally my perspective. Bro culture came from that by being like, hey, we're, we're men and we're not nerds at all. Look how look how not nerds we are. We're playing beer pong in the office. We're, we wear polos with our collars popped. We wear polos with our collars popped. We, I, I, don't, I don't know what else, but I mean, I was there with it. I was there like playing beer pong in the office, like shouting like, I work in a startup. Look how, look how great I am. We had a margarita machine that we broke out on Fridays. <laughs> We never got that far. That's I don't even like margaritas. And I was like, yay. Yeah, we and we we were all there. And part of that is just identity because we're like, we're not nerds. We're in tech. We make six figures and we're programmers. And this is great. And we're trying to establish ourselves because we didn't really understand who we were, but we we were too concerned about how we were perceived by the outside world. 
And by like having this negative culture, it just has like seeped in the, into many, many aspects of tech, which even now we're still trying to claw back. We're still trying to make it tech a more equitable place for everybody. So this concept of who you are and who more uh, specifically who I am as, as a person, it, it changed, obviously. I'm, I'm not steeped in bro culture. I don't consider, I don't, I don't really want to go out after work. I, I have my own life now. And I, I do really do believe in work-life balance and work stays at work and home is for home. Uh, but I think more importantly, becoming a manager has forced me to reckon with who I am. Because for a long time, it, it was like, okay, I'm not this beer-swilling bro, but I'm an engineer and that's who I am. And I speak, I speak, I speak the language, you know, I speak. I have a craft and a skill and, yeah. a, and a, a knowledge, a deep knowledge and understanding of building these, these things that, that, you know, make, make the world go round. Yeah. I, I have some, you know, I, in, until I had kids, I had a very similar, like that was a core part of my uh, personality. Part of my individuality was, was I understand technology. That was my, that was me. It was like, you know, if, if we met on the street 10 years ago, that would, in the first five minutes, I'd be like, technology, technology, I, blah, 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 you know, with the, with the, the triangles and the geography or the, the math floating around my head. That's what I wanted you to see. Um, and that's not the case anymore. Um, but, you know, family changes that and, and, and parenthood changes that and, and age changes that. Um, the, the perspective of who what people think about you is probably limited to your your partner and your children and like that's literally it nothing else matters beside that um it's same for me same 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 for me that's changed so it's hard to say if that's parenthood or becoming a manager because they're you're going side tan, tan, yeah you're not running a, a real a b experiment there you've got some you don't have a control group <laughs> yeah you can't go back and redo it uh but I, I would say in general, I, I'm probably less attached to my identity, which makes it difficult. I, I think it's important to have things you believe in. And for me, that's my family and taking care of them. But beyond that, man, I couldn't say anymore. I, I couldn't say like, oh, I, I was exactly that that person, like math and technology and the numbers swirling around and you give me an API and I'll build you the world. Like that, that was me, but it, it is no longer. So who am I as a person? I don't know. But I've learned to like stop being so rigid about it. The a good perspective I have is like what was important to me at age twenty. It's probably like cars, you know, women, drinking, hopefully making money someday. I was so dirt poor back then. Uh, at age thirty, were those still still important to me? Maybe a little. You know, when I hit forty, will that be important to me? Probably not. And like. You can't hold on to these things. If you if you hold on to what was important to you at age ten, you would never progress as, as an individual. You never progress as an adult. But we do. We do hold on to these things. We say they're our core identities, and that's who we are. But when you look at it objectively, that makes no sense. Your your value should change. Your identity should change. There are things you should always hold on to that are important. Like you know, don't murder people. It should be a core part of your identity or whatever it is like a value you have. But so, solid foundations here at the Modern <laughs> Web Podcast. Solid, solid social foundations. <laughs> so murder is out. Uh, petty larceny. Uh, we're on the fence. Yeah, we'll come back to that one. We'll put the pin <laughs> in that one. And I'm not saying have uh, wishy-washy morals. I'm just saying the things that you hold to be sacred and true, such as your identity as an engineer and all that, it's good to reevaluate them. And maybe that is your identity and that's okay. But I tell you, once we, you move from uh, software engineer to engineering manager, your identity has to change or you will not be a good manager. If you're still in there trying to elbow in, trying to get in a clever pull request review or trying to establish yourself as the head of authority on some particular technology stack, you would not be a good manager. I would not be a good manager if I was trying to do that. Trying to earn respect to my team by showing how smart I am would not make me a good manager. They, they're all much smarter than I am. My job is to clear the road for them. And that's that's who I am today. And that's part of my identity. I promise you, if we interview next year, we have this conversation, I will think very differently about that. And that's okay. That, that's really okay. Yeah, that means we're, we're growing and we're learning. Um, I really like that, that phrase you used, um, clearing the road uh, for them. I think I have, I have found uh, that 
letting go of that identity, that, that hard, uh, you know, able to solve all the, all the problems mentality, letting go of that has made me a better teammate. It's made me more open to other ideas and not so blinded or focused on my own uh, passion of this is, this is the way it's going to get built and this has got to work and this is going to work and this is going to work. You know, that, that, that sort of mentality. Um, When I was younger, I think we called it hustle or grit, Uh, but really it was not, it was stubbornness and, and, and bullheadedness to prove myself over and over and over again. Um, Letting go of that a little bit has made me a vastly better teammate uh, to clear the road for other people. I have learned so much more in the last couple of years than I have in the previous decade uh, because I'm open to those ideas and I'm not so uh, taken with my own, uh, with my own uh, competency, with my own wit. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas out there when you sort of step back and shut your mouth. Um, I think there's no glory in clearing the road too. That, that I think that's an important thing to remember. When you're driving down the highway, you're not like, let us give thanks for the 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 hundreds of of work work people who cleared this road and the engineers who laid the highway. You're like, no, the highway was built. It's always been there. But someone had to do the work. So that's I think that's why that's one of the hardest things is like being that glue person, clearing the road for people. It's hard because like there's no glory in it. I'm not gonna be like, oh, thank God Jesse did that thing. Thank God he pulled together that meeting. And took notes and shared those out later. That's that's what we needed. It, it's it's underappreciated, and that's something. If you're going to go into any sort of leadership, whether people or engineering leadership, you just have to accept is like you won't get credit for the things you do. And if you do things right, to quote Futurama, if you do things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. And that is kind of the essence of really good people leadership. Yeah, that's sort of. Uh... I think you said it earlier, good management is almost unseen uh, and and bad management is, is readily apparent. Uh, whether it's a, you know, a, a team that isn't performing because um, all the pull requests have to go through a manager. I think we, you know, we've, we've been in teams that bottleneck like this uh, where they're doing PRs and, and performance reviews. Um, and, and and maybe you know they're like at Google they're doing code and managing. Bless their hearts. Um, I, I hope for their mental sake their teams are smaller. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's uh, you know, and I think the other thing the the other quality that I found in good managers is is the thankless clearing the road and then consistency, right? The the dependability and the consistency to always have the road cleared or, or to be able to communicate when there's stuff happening. That's like, Hey, like this is going on. It's, it's, it's going to get a little bumpy up here. Uh, that, that sort of heads up. Um, it's little, but it means mentally for me, at, you know, on the team, it, it makes a big deal to be in the right space when I come in and things are not like all, you know, when they're not well put together, it's like, Oh, well, I, I knew this was going to be a bit rough. Um, and not like, what the hell happened here? What's going on? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so parenthood and management. Um, I would say that you, you kind of went in on the deep end. Yeah, I guess you can say that. Yeah. Um, managing managers. Uh, you know, you are managing a, a team. How do you interact with with your? Is Mike your manager? He's a director now. Is he, how do you interact with your manage your your management now that your manager has that relationship changed? It has. I I have a different perspective on what managers are looking for. Honestly, if I can go back in time, say five years from my position now, I would tell myself such good advice about how to interact with your manager, how to stand out how to understand what they need and be that person to deliver. So like you're that point person, things like I just didn't understand because uh, no fault of anybody's just no one explains that to you and probably no one ever will. No one will ever tell you like how to manage your manager. And there are people that are better at it than others. Uh, I, I'd say the way it's changed is 
I have a different perspective on what on what information to share with them. Do they need to know the fine details of everything going on in the team? No, that's my job. Do they need to know my ideas on what I'm going to start? Not necessarily. Do I want to tell them when I'm in the middle of something about to finish it? Yeah, that's where I bring them in because everything before that is like kind of superfluous. It, it doesn't really add much to the conversation. I tend to use my manager as just a sounding board where I talk a lot. Uh, and my manager, Sean, uh, he's he's very thoughtful and quiet. He's very good at listening and he'll sit back, he'll digest and then he'll like give me some feedback on what I said, which is something I'm trying to learn. I, I'm a big talker. Uh, it's, it's hard, <laughs> right? It's it, And I also appreciate that like my perspective on the team is limited. I don't know every single ins and outs of what's going on in the day to day, nor, nor do I need to. My, my team is made up of adults who can manage. They've made it this far in life on their own. They could probably make it a little bit further without me stepping in. Uh, but I also have like a very broad scope of all these different conflicting forces at play. So I talk to my manager or director who has that, but like probably 10 times more where they get more into like administrative stuff and long-term vision and stuff like that. So I try to have that perspective when I go in and share things with them where it's not petty things that I can solve myself. It's like, Hey, given your perspective, what do you think about this? Or am I just totally off base in my thinking in this, this, and this, and that's what I have now. It's, it's really helpful to have. I personally think what works out a good career trajectory for a lot of people is do the manager thing for a year or two. And like, don't be a bad manager. If you're not, if you're not cut out for it, don't do it. Uh, a bad manager will tank a team faster than anything. <laughs> um, it's pretty rough. I think we've all but, been on that, that boat. We, yeah, we've all had that. Some managers. of us have captained that ship. Uh, and those are dark times. <laughs> I, but I think that's healthy. I, I think if you look back and you're like, man, I did a crap job. That's good. If you, I think if you look back and you're like, I was a great manager. You know that's not true. You like <laughs> I, I look back and I'm like I can't I I know I wasn't a good manager because I just didn't know enough and I made a lot of mistakes, but that's okay. Uh, that I think that's a healthy perspective to have as long as you don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah, you take something and you learn something out of it and you sort of uh, you you chalk it up as a as a learning opportunity. Um, and it takes a couple of years for those wounds to sort of peel over uh, until you and then you realize oh I was I was terrible at that job, uh, and you're like okay yeah don't. <laughs> It's a process. But I, I think the most important uh, lesson that I take away from trying to manage my manager is it doesn't get easier. There's no like point in the people management career ladder or trajectory, whatever you want to call it, where you hit a stage, you're like, and now I've made it. Now I'm going to rest and invest. The team's running fine. York's running fine. I've got it all covered. Pretty much all the things that really suck as or I shouldn't say they suck. No, they, they suck as being a manager, which is like ambiguity, not understanding your output, uh, trying to quantify the value you add to any organization. Those get much, much worse the higher up you go. To the point where if you hit VP level or C level, you have to really think like, what am I actually doing? Especially as an executive where you're like, totally <laughs> you have right. zero output. You might write a memo from time to time, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, we talked about identity crisis. Like, I imagine when most people get to the C C level suite, it's just like, what do I do? You have here? to believe that you're doing something. Otherwise, like, you'll just you'll get in your own head and never accomplish anything. Yeah, I I can only imagine the the magnitude of of self identity that or you know self uh, insight that takes to understand that you are doing something that's that may not be tangible. Uh, and, and maybe this comes from my own my own ignorance and, and naivete of not knowing, but like, what are you doing all day? Um, what do you have? What do you have to show at the end of the day? And like the company's running and the stock is up and the board is happy. And I guess those are all good things. Did you do that? Or was that going to happen? And was it inevitable? Yeah. That, or that... is just the economy rolling and things are fine? Um, See, Jesse, this, this is why you're the perfect interviewer for this topic, because like you've been a manager. You know the pitfalls of doing it. And I think you know enough to be like, I don't want to be a manager. And that's okay. Uh, I, I think a mistake is viewing management as the only career trajectory. And I'll, I'll tell you now, like 
managers are not the highest paid people at Netflix, in Netflix engineering uh, or any sort of people leader. There are, there are engineers that make more than VPs because they're just that good. They're just that valuable. And we recognize the value they add to a company. I can't say that's universally true, um, but you don't, at least on Netflix, you don't go into management for more money. There, I think there are easier ways to get more money, like just like sharpening your skills engineer. Uh, it is just a con- completely different career trajectory entirely. So yeah, anybody out there think about being a manager for more money, I'm telling you, you can make a lot more as an IC. <laughs> yep, you do a, a, a half dozen years as an IC over over and over. I've I've been in companies many many times that uh, you know that that tenure tenure uh, engineer is making more than their manager, um, and in a pretty regular cadence. Like that's not a, a, an outlandish example. That's a pretty regular cadence. So. Yeah, I the what what are your thoughts? Um, you know, as we sort of wrap up here, this new I I mean, for me, I, I call it this new ladder of opportunity of of uh, staff engineer, um, principal engineer, architect. Uh, what are your thoughts on on this new the, these new evolutions of of titles that 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 are out there for individual contributors to be at a at a at a higher level to continue their their path and their growth. I think it's good. I think it's a recognition of the complexity of the modern engineering environment. Take front end, for example. There was a time when you were just an engineer and then the web came along. It's like, well, you either do the UI or you do the back end. So thus front end and back end were introduced. And it turns out, it, like we'll dive in the front end. There's a lot of nuance to the front end. You say, hey, I need a front end engineer. I'm like, that doesn't tell me a thing. You don't tell me what language we're using. You don't tell me the stack. You don't You don't tell me if you need a UX expert, you need a designer, you need an accessibility expert, you need someone who's great at WebAssembly, you need someone who's good at, at multi or trying to do create a multi-threaded environment in a single-thread environment. Uh, you don't tell me if you, it's actually a Node.js expert you're looking for, even though you call that front-end because JavaScript even though has nothing to do with it. And I'm not even halfway done. I'm, like, I'm nowhere near the bottom. We're not even list. halfway done through our list, right? Yeah, and that, that's just front-end. So I, I think it's good we're recognizing that there's a lot of diversity in terms of what are what is necessary in terms of engineering. I think it's good that people have places to aspire to. I personally, I, I would never be a principal engineer. I don't have that rigor. Uh, I, don't, I don't have that, I guess, sort of latent passion to dive deep into a technology stack and be like, I, I am a world-renowned expert in this in this particular um, field of technology where I am a principal engineer. That I mean, that's like one of the rarest titles you can give to somebody. Google, Microsoft, they have very few principal engineers relative to their, their overall code base. But it's good to have somewhere to aspire to. But more importantly, it, it gives you a place where you can say, hey, this is good enough. I, I'm a staff engineer. I do a little bit of people management. Uh, like I do a little bit of like tech lead, driving projects, architecture, but I still code. I still have a, a hand on the code. This is the level I want to stay at. <clears throat> I think it's good. I, I think we've probably burnt out a lot of really good engineers by forcing them to be people managers when they are very different skill sets. Uh, and I think we're just now starting to learn that lesson. Yeah, I, I think that's a really hard lesson to learn. Um, you know, many years ago, I worked at an enterprise and we had this older guy who was a, uh, he was, man, I say older guy. He was probably my age now. Uh, and I just, I remember him being just old. Um, <laughs> and I asked him, you know, on multiple occasions, you know, when we were going out for drinks afterwards and be like, Hey, you want, you know, do you want to come? We always offer. And he's like, no, I'm good. Like, what are you, what are you still doing here? Uh, and I vividly remember this. Um, He's like, I, I like it, and there's nowhere else to go. You know, at that time, there was no other. He was the, he was the senior developer. There was no other title, and that, and he was like, I'm totally okay with that. And I was like, well, There's more to do. And he's like, I do other stuff. And it, it, you know what? It didn't really click that he he meant other stuff in life. Uh, it went right over my head at that age. Um, and so, you know, to to those out there that that are in you know a, a middle de- a mid developer or a senior developer and and they're happy, um, you don't have to grind this out to to principal or staff or you know 
I work with many um, mid-level and, and senior engineers that are fantastic and they come to work and they do a fantastic job and they're wonderful people. And then at 4.30, they go do re the rest of their life uh, and they have a, a blast to it. They don't read category theory on Saturdays because um, they don't enjoy it. And you know what? It's taken me many years and I, I've finally like come to terms with like, I'm okay. I enjoy reading this, but like my kids ask me, why do you read that? Isn't that for work? And it's like, oh, I, if I'm honest, I like it, uh, you know? Um, and so it's, it's taken me a long time to understand that it's okay not to do that stuff, to do other stuff that you like, uh, and that it doesn't have to be the grind and the hustle. Um, when I was growing up, my dad is an accountant and he would read tax magazines on that really thin <laughs> newsprint. And I hassled him for years. Dad, why are you working? Why are you reading that stuff? And he's like, it's interesting. And now that I'm a father, I understand exactly what he meant. And, and maybe not because I'm a father, but because I'm older and wiser in life. Older in life? Uh, I, I understand what he meant. So, Jim Young, thank you so much for coming to the Modern Web Podcast and talking to us about management. Is there anything that we missed in this journey that you want to touch on before we go? Hmm. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me on. This is a, an excellent conversation, very thought-provoking. Uh, I tend to, to think out loud, and a lot of my opinions aren't established until I actually say them. Uh, which is a, a weird way to do things, but uh, thank you for being an excellent interviewer and uh, having me on. I, I'd say, I don't know, we, we touched on so much. I, I think we're okay. I, I just, uh, I guess a word of encouragement to people trying to understand what their identity is and who they're, who they want to be in terms of like in their tech career is like, talk to a lot of people, just talk to as many people as you can and try to understand what each career outcome looks like. Uh, a big mistake that a lot of people have in, in tech is they don't have an end game in mind. They don't have some level they want to hit or some target they want to achieve. So they kind of just like bounce around. Sometimes they get a promotion. They switch jobs for a little bit more money. That's a common story. But like, you know, when you're 60, where do you want to be? We never think that far out. We're always like five, five years at the most. Uh, but I encourage you to start thinking about that. Now, all the, all the listeners, like, where do you want to be when you're 60, when you're 65, 70? What's going to make you happy? Is it you were the greatest JavaScript expert back in 2022, which that's cool, but is that really going to do anything when you're in 2050? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not hassling. You don't have to make decisions today, but having it back your head about where you want to go, that's the advice I'd give my younger self is be more strategic in my career growth rather than just letting it happen to me. Yeah. Uh, that's a, I can only expound upon that advice. That's fantastic. I have started to think from year to year, slowly grew into, you know, in dev jobs, we often switch every two or three years. So it, that seems to be a natural cadence for a lot of uh, our listeners and, and myself included. Uh, I would uh, challenge you to think five years and then to think 10 years, you know, when, if you're 30, when you're 40 years old and you don't feel like going out on a Thursday night, what is going to make you happy? Uh, <laughs> you know, is it, is it, you know, uh, golf or tennis or, or chess or uh, wordle? What makes you happy? Uh, and then, and then see, and then I challenge you to add 10 more to that and think about, am I still at this desk? Am I still logging into Slack? Like Slack doesn't make anybody happy, but you understand what I mean? Like the cadence, do you, maybe I want to, work four days a week what maybe my life in my life i could work two days a week and and do more etsy shop i don't maybe i go to the farmer's market and put up my cold brew stand like what makes you happy at that age like where do you want to be i i challenge you to try and think about it because it's hard it's real hard um it's not a daydream it's a hard exercise so uh, i encourage you to give it a good effort yes uh in that uh, the disclaimer is we are we are older gentlemen who are well we we have years of experience we have well paying careers now uh, I get uh, like some of the more experienced people telling younger people it's like what do you want to do when you're older and you're like ah oh, I just want to make it I just want to hustle hard that's cool like embrace that while you can it, it, it's more it won't last forever that that passion you feel 
it, it might get diminished a bit in the future. So like, if you rely on that to keep you going, then it, it's not a, a infinite source of energy. Uh, just like you're saying, Jesse, be, be deliberate, be thoughtful, but realize it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. Nothing needs to be accomplished next year, even the year after that. It's more have a general course you should set. You, you wouldn't get on a boat with no destination in mind. Same with your career. It's wide open right now. Oh, that is, I love that analogy. Like have a destination in mind. Um, you know, it, it's great to get on route 66 and just drive for a while. Sooner or later, you got to get off and find, you know, you've got to have somewhere to go, somewhere to put your head down at the end of the night. Jim Young, thank you so much. Uh, this has been the Modern Web Podcast. Uh, man, this conversation has just been amazing. Uh, it is tied up and ended my week in a fantastic shape. So thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Cause we got a show for you